This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open sourced Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Ruby Rogues podcast. I am David Kamura, and today on our panel, we have Eric Berry. Hey there. And we have a very special guest, Sam Aaron. Hi. How's it going? So, Sam, tell us a bit about yourself and some of the things that you're doing. That's a good question. I don't really know how to describe it in a very simple way. I do lots of different things. I try and challenge programming and take it to new directions. And, and of late, I've been trying my best to figure out how I can be the most expressive person I can with code um, and how to help other people do the same kind of thing. And the medium I'm using at the moment is to use code to make music. So I've written a system that allows people to do the same because it's not just good enough for me to be able to do cool stuff. I want to be able to share it with the world. And uh, hopefully we can start to all have a conversation about making music with code. Awesome. So you've taken the uh, code as art to a literal sense. Yeah, well, I mean, think, I think that uh, code is just a medium, you know, like writing or um, painting or dancing. And you can use both of those things, all those things for, for very variety of different things not just artistic uh, things they're really just expression so you can use writing for legal statements but you can also write it music for writing poems i think that the, the fact we see code is a very business oriented thing typically i think it's, it's a limited view and i think we should just see it as we see writing and we can use it to express many different things that's really cool so tell us a bit about sonic pi the project that you have developed to generate music from code yeah, I mean, it's um, how do you want me to start? Like how, how I started on the project, what I'm trying to do, where I'm going. I mean, it's, a, it's a very simple program. It's an app that you can run on your Mac or on Windows, or if you don't have either of those things uh, and you, maybe you can't even afford a laptop or a computer, um, it runs on a Raspberry Pi computer as well. And it's installed by default, which is why it has the name Pi, because it was originally written uh, for the Raspberry Pi. And it was written originally as a response to the UK uh, launching a new computer science curriculum in schools. And so the challenge was, how do we get kids engaged in programming? And so um, Sonic Pi was my response to that question. Uh, and it's turned into, since then, uh, from sort of a tool for experimenting in, in whether or not music could engage children in programming to a, a fully-fledged musical instrument in its own right. And it's really taken a whole life direction of its own. It's exciting. That's really cool. And was this developed by a team of people or was it in a conjunction with anyone else? So the majority of the work is myself, uh, although it is an open source project and we've had uh, very many fabulous contributors which have over the years who have, who have helped out in a variety of different ways. But there's no real team as such. The only sort of full-time developers me myself, but I have worked with fabulous other people, as I said. Awesome. And so what's the history and the motivation? You said that you wanted to bring schools or bring this into a more educational environment, but why music? Why not something like a graphical or drawing library where you can do something visual? Uh, what made you choose the audio style? Well, that's a good question. Um, many years ago, I was working on, I had a tragedy in the family and uh, I was really sort of struggling mentally um, dealing with this issue. And one of the ways I helped myself was to uh, pick up a book on processing, the, the sort of drawing tool that's uh, based on Java. It's a fabulous tool. Um, but the weirdo I am myself, I, I looked at the system and I thought, it's based on the JVM. And I'm really interested in this Clojure language. I'm going to see if I can uh, work with processing and Clojure. And lo and behold, someone had already made a very early prototype of, of a combination of these things. So I spent a lot of time uh, implementing that and then building it out and renamed it something called Quill, which has really sort of taken its own life. And so I started off many ways doing visual things, 
And then obviously audio complements that. And so I was thinking about how could I make interesting sounds as well as interesting visuals. And so again, I was exploring uh, a variety of different ways of doing that. And when I'd seen these visual systems, I, I got either got the skeuomorphic systems, which try and model what an actual traditional music studio is. And if you don't have a, a huge background in how studios work and for many years, they can be really daunting and difficult. And on the other hand, you've got these very visual tools for making music, which are boxes and lines. But when you see anything that's interesting, they're just far too complicated, too many lines, too many boxes, and it's just a whole spider's web mess of, 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 of disaster that I... When we, when we, as programmers, we use abstraction, we use tools to manage this complexity. So it just made sense to me as a programmer that we should be using programming tools to do these things. Um, and so I'm using programming tools to make visuals with processing and quill and closure. Why not do the same with, with music? And of course, at that point, I discovered many, many live coding systems and, and music systems for doing exactly that. So it's just really sort of forging my own path and way through all of those things. That's really cool. So can you talk to about the architecture of Sonic Pi? Because it is cross-platform, and while there are many cross-platform applications out there, you know, one that comes to mind, Inkscape, it just doesn't really have that same flavor of a native application feel, or, or more so the graphical, the interface of it. But Sonic Pi looks, you know, really good playing with it here on a Mac OS, and... Now, what was your inspiration behind the UI and its architecture? Uh, so, as I mentioned before, I was playing with these sort of closure-based systems, Quill being the visual one, and then I started working on a system called Overturn with a friend called Jeff Rose. And we were working on these uh, on these systems for a while. And so Sonic Pi came purely not of my own sort of artistic expression, but it came from a response from where I was working. And someone said, we've got a small bit of money to spend on somebody who can build possibly a prototype for teaching kids how to code. And so my initial thing was to try and get this overtone, this closure environment running on the Raspberry Pi, because this the goal was to make sure it can run on the Raspberry Pi. But it just took too long to boot because the JVM support was poor. And so it was obvious to me that, that I could take a lot of the ideas from overtone and port them to the Raspberry Pi, but using a different language. And so Ruby was a natural choice for me because I used to be a professional Ruby programmer. And it has many of the niceties of, of a Lisp language, not all, but, but many. And so it was, it was quite obvious to me how to build a very simple prototype. So a lot of the architecture was, was the, the original core, of all the abstractions were uh, uh, taken directly from, from Overtone, this closure life coding system I've been working on for a number of years prior to that. Um, and the way it works is you have a very sort of simple server. Uh, so this is a Ruby server, which is sitting listening on talking over a, a network socket to something called SuperCollider. And SuperCollider is a, is a fabulous open source synthesis engine. Uh, that has two components. One is a language, which allows you to describe music and synthesizers. Another one is a server, which sort of is, a, is an engine which, which generates all the sound and manipulates all the audio streams. And so with Overtone, the idea was to try and see if I could replace uh, the SuperCollider language with Clojure. Um, and Sonic Pi was, again, a very simple, very much cut-down version, which was implemented in Ruby. And so the Ruby server would talk to SuperCollider. So you have a Ruby process, talking over a network to SuperCollider, and then the, you needed some way for the user to control and manipulate the Ruby process. And so I created a very simple graphical user interface using Qt, Qt, and because I needed something that, that was really, really sort of fast and, and low memory footprint to run on the Raspberry Pi version one. Um, and so the Qt then talked to the Ruby server, which then talked to SuperCollider. So those were three separate processes all talking over the network. I want to give the uh, listeners a little bit of an idea of what this sounds like, if that's okay. And I'm just sure. <laughs> pretty amazing. So here's the sound, and let me know if you can't hear it, but here's the sound, which is literally four lines of code in Ruby. Can you tell us a little bit about what goes into making that sound work? Of course, yeah. Um, so the bottom layer is the maths used to generate the different audio waveforms which compose that sound clip. And so there's this mathematician, Fourier, he, dis he discovered that any sound is really just a composition of different sine waves, the purest sort of sound wave you can create, at different frequencies, so high or low, and at different phase uh, starting points, so whether it was w at which point it started. 
And if you can combine them in the right ways, you can create any sound. So those bell sounds he heard were, yes, in that example, I think it's, so either you could synthesize a bell sound, so there is a pretty bell synthesizer, which uses the mathematics to generate these things, or you can play pre-recorded samples. So these are where the waveforms uh, uh, were in time at this time that some sound was produced. In the example you showed, uh, did it, does it say the word sample in it somewhere? It's haunted bells. It's the very yeah. example. So that's got a sample of a, of a bell. So you can either, so there is a bell synthesizer, which I was I thought we were playing, which I was describing. Um, but also there's just you can record the sound of a bell with a microphone and the audio file that's produced you can then use to play back. And so Sonic Pi has a, just one line of code to play any audio sound. But the cool thing is you can play the audio sound as it was recorded, and then you get sort of a a one-to-one sort of mirror image and it comes out of your speakers as it was produced but of course you can sort of middle and foot spit as it's playing back and so that all those different sounds are high and low sounds which is the same sound stretched or or shrunk and if you stretch a sample it takes longer to play back just like you sort of pull a slinky out it's it's a longer object um but also has this effect on the sound to make it sound lower uh, and if you squash a, a sample, of course, it, like you're squashing uh, uh, sort of jelly, it gets smaller. But of course, then that has the opposite effect. It makes the sound higher. And um, so you can hear those bells are sounding higher and shorter and lower and longer as the rate of the sample is modified. So you then have a loop. So at this point, you have a, a way of triggering sound. You have a way of modifying the way that sounds played back. But then you need some sort of construct to then play it multiple times. So there's likely a like, thing is a, is a live loop, which is a loop which spins around every half a second or a quarter of a second and then triggers that sample again. But the rate will probably be a random value between some, some positive and negative values or high and low values. So that, that way, every time around, it's going to trigger the same sample, but stretch it or shrink it higher or low, and it's going to sound different. And so all the sounds are going to blend together. Does that roughly say? So you're, yeah, absolutely. You're, <laughs> Let me a play one more. A way of playing a sound and then a way of waiting the right amount of time between the sounds. So that's incredible. Cool. Let, me, let me play one more. Just, and this is the example that you have called Acid Walk. And this is the kind of the <laughs> biggest. It's a bit more fancy, yeah. It's a bit more fancy. So let's give it a listen. <laughs> All right, so that's really <laughs> very intricate, but I'm looking at the code and it's still what 80 lines, 60 yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got, you've got the bass drum going boom, boom, boom. That's just a loop with, with a line that says play the trace bass drum, wait for a bit, play it again, right? That's it's very simple. And the same with the, the, the ticking sound, tick, tick, tick. It's just which sound to play, the, the tick sound, and how long to wait before you play it again. And then the melody thing that uh, sounds complicated, but all it really is, is taking notes from a scale that other musicians have chosen uh, and just designed. So basically scales are just sort of palettes in the same way you can have a color palette for your, your website. You know, and I want to make, just choose these grays or these greens. And you might choose a color palette. A scale is just a color palette for notes. And so it's a set of notes that you can just randomly pick from, which I'm doing, and then randomly wait a, small, a, 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 a choice of times between playing the next notes. And then it sort of creates this melody and rhythm just randomly for you, which, which can sound interesting. And then you're adding effects. So you're modifying the sound of the sound uh, by adding some reverb or just some distortion or some echo or that kind of thing. Yeah. That's really cool. And, yeah. you know, honestly, most of that is way over my head. I'm not very musically inclined. But one thing I am curious, because the target platform was a Raspberry Pi, Usually when I think of Raspberry Pi, I don't think of Ruby. I think of Python. So why did you choose Ruby over Python for developing the Sonic Pi engine? Oh, that's a very good question. I mean, I, I, before I answer that question, I'd like to just challenge you on this uh, idea that you're not musical. I hear it all the time, and it, it really frustrates me. I'm, I'm sure you, you believe it, but I think that maybe a fairer statement is that you're not a professional musician. Because I don't think that anybody in, the, in every human is musical to some degree. We can all 
hear a melody, we can all tap a rhythm or we can all wave our arms around to the music. We don't have to be able to be professional skilled, but we all can all be a bit musical. And I think tools yeah. like Sonic Pi can help us to learn and express that a bit more. And I think that's this idea that you're not musical as a barrier, I think is a barrier to lots of other people. And maybe the listeners out there think, oh, yes, I don't feel very musical, but actually you really could be. And I, I remember listening to a, 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 an interview with a lady, she was 100, and when they asked her lots of different questions about her life over, over the many years she was alive. And one of the questions they asked is, do you have any regrets? And she said, yes. And the chap said, well, what is your regret? And she said, well, when I was 80, uh, if I had started to play the violin that I'd been playing it for 20 years. <laughs> so hmm. I, think, I think that this idea of not musical, I think it's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a mind barrier. It's not necessarily a real thing. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so to answer the question, why do I choose Ruby Rose the Python? Because I had an insanely ridiculous schedule to implement the first, uh, to, for, the, for the project, really. That, so my contract at the University of Cambridge was about to expire, so I was about to move back to being a professional programmer again. That was also the general trend. Um, and then uh, that was the same year the Raspberry Pi uh, was released, and it was a staggering success and surprised everybody. And so... At that point, they were pumping out this hardware. It was, it was selling really well, but they didn't necessarily have the, the software which ran on that platform, which was going to be super exciting and engaging for kids. I mean, they've been working relentlessly since then to try and, uh, and fix and change this. But at the time, there was, there, was, there was very little education software that ran on the Raspberry Pi 1. And so uh, there was a bit of money pushed around for a small project of, of three months was, was the duration. And I thought, when I signed up for this, so this is a good idea, maybe I can take my overtone system and, and port it to the Raspberry Pi, was my, my original thinking, not thinking about Ruby at all. My thinking was that uh, the project was, in three months, build a prototype which may potentially have use in teaching children how to code. And I thought that was already quite an uh, exciting and tough problem in, in three months. And when I sat for the first meeting, uh, it turned out that I was absolutely wrong. What they wanted was the implementation of the system that, that was, was complete, um, in the three months, but also to find a teacher to go into a classroom to use the software to teach Sonic Pi, uh, or to not Sonic Pi, to teach computer science um, for, so I think it was like six or seven weeks to evaluate that and, and to assess everything. So, of course, then if you're doing all that evaluation in classrooms, you can't go in with no software. You have to have software. So, the, the first version of Sonic Pi took me two weeks to build. It, was, it had to be the simplest possible thing. And then I iterated on the development. So every week I'd go into the classroom with a different version of the software and, uh, and implement it on a week-by-week -week basis as I was working in the classroom. So because of the ridiculous tight schedule, I had to use a language I was very familiar with. And I, as I said before, I was a professional Ruby programmer. Uh, I really liked the Ruby programming language. It's it's perfect for this. The, um, the uh, anonymous, um, so the... Um, the next closure as a, as a optional sort of do end to every method is just is a beautiful uh, construct for writing languages uh, like Sonic Pi that, that Python just doesn't really have. You know, you can do it with a lot more syntax. And then also that uh, these are personal opinions, but I believe that the Ruby syntax is so much more lenient than the Python syntax. Um, we can talk about the pros and cons from a professional perspective as programmers. But actually, there's different pros and cons in an educational context. And I've observed that it's actually really nice to have a language where it tolerates mistakes much more than Python, which really does not tolerate any kind of mistake. In fact, it punishes you if you put things that you can't even see there uh, with, the, with the white space stuff. So you have to get everything absolutely perfect. Whereas because Ruby has a, a bit more verbose syntax for the do ends, um, the, the, the system can actually help you and do the indentation and, and smarten and neaten the code for you automatically. Uh, and that these are really nice things in an education situation that you'd have to fight against because the, the amount of time you have in the classroom is so minimal. You want to spend as much as you can teaching the concepts, not trying to fight the tools. I'm looking in the code right now and I'm seeing that it looks like the application Sonic Pi is written both in Ruby, but you've also got some Erlang in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> can, you, can you address that real quick? I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, the, you asked earlier about the architecture, and I talked about three components. So the GUI spend, uh, talked to the Ruby server, which sits a bit like Nginx or Apache, waiting for messages uh, from, from uh, in Ruby description about what to do musically, and then converts those to messages to SuperCollider to send to your sound card. Now, 
this was working really well. But then I people get saying I, I wanted to uh, work with external synthesizers that were controlled by, say, MIDI, which is a, a protocol which was invented uh, uh, at the end of the 70s, early 80s, to connect keyboards together. So you could, have, you could press the note on one keyboard and have it play on another keyboard if you put the right wire between them, this MIDI cable. Um, and so I wanted to be able to trigger external synthesizers using this MIDI protocol. Um, but it's not just enough to be able to say, I want to be able to send a message to the MIDI synthesizer. I need to be able to say, I want to send it at the right time. Uh, and so far, we haven't really spent any time talking about time. But SonicPy, I have spent so long uh, building and designing the system for, for making it accurate in terms of time. It's, it's crazy. I, I needed to be able to, so the way it works is that the Ruby does not do the timing, because that would be nuts. Uh, Ruby just manages when things should happen at what time and then sends those messages to uh, SuperCard ahead of when they should. So then SuperCard is, is sort of really very optimized C, C++. Uh, and the uh, the bit that does all of the, the timing doesn't have any mallocs in it. It doesn't have any IO. It's like super uh, tight bit piece of code, high priority thread. So um, you, you want to use that for the timing, not Ruby. Uh, and I wanted to have the same thing for MIDI. So I could imagine writing a Ruby program which had a function called MIDI, which said a MIDI message out. And then I could use the Ruby sleep to wait some seconds and then send another MIDI out. Um, but that's just, it's just a terrible approach because you've got the Ruby GC kicking in now and then. Uh, and sleep just says sleep for at least, it doesn't say sleep for exactly. So there's a bunch of semantic problems which work when you're programming normal programs, but don't work when you're making music so much. Um, and so I wanted to build a system where Ruby could send a message to something else, which could then schedule it at the right time. Uh, I wanted that something else not to have a garbage collector. I wanted it to, ha to, to, to have really well-defined timing semantics. Um, and so the only thing I could think of was, um, I mean, in, in Ruby, the way I would implement it, if Ruby had good timing semantics, was wait for a message to come in, look at the timestamp, spawn a thread, wait for the difference between the current time and the timestamp, and then forward the message on. But of course, as, you, as I said before, all those, you've got timing issues with the way Ruby is implemented. Um, but Erlang does that beautifully. So it's designed for exactly that thing. So spawning threads is, is no time. There is no global garbage collector. Um, each thread has its own isolated memory. It's got a very beautiful design for a very, very low latency, uh, highly uh, um, concurrent operations. And so it was exactly the right architecture. Then my problem then was, that how do I sit down and spend the time to learn Erlang? But Actually, the, the, the easiest way to write Erlang programs is to go and make friends with uh, one of the co-creators, John, <laughs> um, which is what I did. And uh, uh, he's a lovely chap, really nice and super interesting Sonic Pi. And I mean, and it's also interesting to see that a lot of the design Sonic Pi is, is basically a, a really half-assed implementation of broken parts of Erlang. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, symmetry there. But yeah, he wrote the, the, the scheduler, which basically receives a message, parks it for the right amount of time and forwards it on. And so then... In addition to that, we also have another program uh, written by another collaborator, Louis Lorette, which takes these messages and converts them to actual MIDI messages. That's a very uh, high-performance C++ program. So there are a few other components, and these are all separate processes, all talking over the network with each other. Um, so one can go down, but it doesn't bring the rest of the system down. Uh, and they can all be implemented in different languages to suit exactly the task they're doing. So the, the system which is shunting open sound control messages from a network to MIDI messages just needs to be a very simple C++ program. It can go as fast as you can just take the bits from one bit and shove them to the other bits. Whereas the, the interface that wants to have a nice expressive language, well, Ruby is a really good, good choice for that. Um, but it's not necessarily a good choice for the high-performance data shunting stuff or the, the very well-timed schedule. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Have you had any requests or considered making this a an online application, like a web-based application? I mean, yeah, I mean, I've got requests for everything. <laughs> so, um, but um, yeah, I mean, that's something I've been thinking about for a very long time. I mean, there's, there's fundamental problems. Uh, so that the web audio is not yet as solid as this SuperCloud Synthesis Engine, which is fab. And so you'd have to really, to, to have something that's equivalently powerful, you'd have to have a really decent implementation of something like SuperCollider in uh, web audio, with, which, which, which is rock solid. So there's a, there's a reason why most of the, the well, if not all of the large music applications, studio application software still doesn't use the web yet, because it's not, it's not quite there. Although I think there's, there's been great strides recently. So then, so yes, then you could, but then, so then at this point, then you're talking about a whole entire rewrite. 
Um, so, right. Uh, you right. take the ideas, but you can. So, I have been working on uh, a cloud version of Sonic Pi where you can run Sonic Pi in a remote server. Uh, and then, uh, in fact, a, a Googler actually implemented a prototype of this. And so, you you would run, you'd have, already have a, um, a browser editor instead of this Qt editor, Qt editor, uh, which works the same way. But instead of sending the, because it's, each process can run on a different machine. So the, the GUI can run on a different machine than the Ruby process, which you can run on a different machine to the SuperCloud audio synthesis engine. So you can actually have a fully distributed system if you want. So you could totally have, and it's what we built, a cloud server running the Sonic Pi server and SuperCloud and connect it to a browser. And then the browser would send the code to run and the, the, brow- the, the server would then shoot the audio back. And that works really nicely, but there's a, there's a currently quite a large latency as so you've got to encode and decode the audio and ship it across the network. So that's there's a limitation there in terms of latency, how long it takes for your sound to be heard, but it's also possible. That's really cool. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. So can you talk to the DSL that you're using on Sonic Pi? Yeah. What would you like to know about it? What was your inspiration for creating your own DSL versus having a more graphical interface where people, when I think of the Raspberry Pis, I think of like that scratch programming language. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah, we could talk about block-based programming, which is what Scratch is, because I have a mm-hmm. huge admiration for it. I mean, it's in many ways, it's, it's a visual disk. And it has all the advantages of that and more as well, because your uh, syntax is a data structure, which each node can have a UUID, um, which is a really powerful thing. So once you then once you have each, each node having a UUID, you can move them around. You can see where the code has moved to, whereas currently we're using these ridiculous text buffers. And you're entering commands like delete and insert a character, which are just completely nothing to do with the code, but everything to do with just writing ASCII text predominantly or whatever coding you're, encoding you're using. And so actually working with the data structure directly as a much more powerful thing. You can totally imagine edits as tree transformations rather than as uh, insertions and deletions from a, a matrix buffer. Um, so there's lots of benefits there. But um, why was Sonic Pi written? Uh, why, how was a DSL design? Well, the, the goal really was to write something that could help kids engage in programming. Um, Scratch did exist in these block-based languages and the UK curriculum talks specifically about text-based languages in addition to block-based languages. Although, to my mind, as a, as a computer scientist, I don't see a difference at all. And in fact, as I said before, I see many benefits of using a block-based language over a text-based language. Um, so focus was on a text language. Um, I had a very short amount of time, so therefore it was Ruby. And uh, my background, my PhD, and the work I'd done in industry were all based on DSLs and in Ruby as well. So it was, just, it was a complete no-brainer to me to, to do that. Um, and, and Ruby is just a, is a great language for writing uh, internal DSLs uh, that have, well, I mean, it, it has to match the kind of structures that Ruby can, it can represent. And yeah, as I said before, you've got sequential programming and you've got these sort of lexical closures. And if you can, if you can model your, your ideas into those sort of two things, then Ruby takes you a very long way. So I've seen you've been working on this since 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is it primarily you as the developer? When I looked at the insights, it showed you as pretty much doing the majority of the code yes i mean so i am i i created the project i'm leading it i i do the majority of the work um as i said before earlier we do have a, a, a it's an open source project we have a, a fabulous bunch of people who have uh, contributed in many a variety of different ways so uh, we've got a core team of developers uh, who are sort of the principal contributors currently and that's that there's there's, there's evolving uh, change there as well but it's lovely to see uh, people really sort of owning the work they've done. So, for example, the, the MIDI stuff I described, I mean, uh, we have the Erlang stuff by, by Joe, but also Louis Lorette, he's a part of the core team, and he implemented all of the, the, the C++ MIDI to open sound control and vice versa stuff. So he can sort of own that project and, and, and maintain it himself. 
We have other contributions, which are how to, how to translate Sonic Grind in many different languages. We've got synthesizer contributions. We've got uh, visual contributions in terms of uh, lights and dark modes. There's lots of people have contributed in a variety of different ways. And so you should definitely check out the, the, the contributors page on the, on the website to see who's helped out. It's, it's fab. But, but yeah, the, the, the majority of the work and mostly all the crappy jobs have been done by me. Yeah. Right, <laughs> as, the, as the core maintainer. So let me ask yeah. you this. You, you've put so much time into this. And this is not, I mean, you don't get paid for this, right? Or is this, is this a business that you're running? Or how do you, how do you justify the continued work on this? That's a good question. Um, up till, up till, even now, actually, still, I am paid to do this. So I have been extremely fortunate to have had a variety of different organizations uh, fund the work I've been doing. Uh, so initially, that first three months, I was funded by the Broadcom Foundation, which is the company which makes the chips that go into the Raspberry Pi. And then for the next good few years, the Raspberry Pi Foundation itself directly funded Sonic Pi, which is fab. And they, they really were great in the sense that they uh, allowed me the freedom to develop Sonic Pi in the way that, that it is turned into. Um, so that, that sort of freedom and that lack of specific control and, and direction really allowed me to build what, you, what, you're, what you're seeing and what we can play with. And then since then, with a, a, a PyTop, which is an organization which make uh, fabulous computers, which have Raspberry Pis inside them, they've provided some funding. The Arts Council England have provided some funding. So a variety of different institutions have, have helped out. We've had donors who are also emailing with, with financial support. I have a, a Patreon page, which is growing all the time, which is fab. It's, it's no, nowhere near enough to, to support me uh, on its own, but it's, it's, a, it's a fabulous starting point. And the goal now, as all this sort of funding is, is drawing to an end, is to figure out how I can continue to work on it, if I can continue to work on it, uh, whilst also somehow bringing the money in to support it. So it's, there is a shift between having been in a lovely position of having had the funding to having to find it myself. Um, so I think Patreon is, is going to be a, a core part of this. I'm also starting to do much more gigs and performances and keynotes and workshops so companies are hiring me now to come in and deliver a, a live coding workshop and I can come and also give a performance and get everyone coding and observing what's going on. And this is great because it's not just because the system was designed to teach children how to code. I can deliver these coding workshops, like live coding workshops to non-programmers. And that's a really beautiful thing to see. Um, so, yeah, so see if I can get revenue from there on this Patreon thing and, and figuring out and maybe donations, figure out if I can find a way to forward through. Because I really do see so much opportunity going forwards for Sonic Pi. Like, uh, the, there was a bus from Finland which drove to Africa and taught 2,000 African women how to code with Sonic Pi. And wouldn't it be beautiful if we can get uh, the, the, those, those people and their friends or their children to collaborate musically? So African kids making music with American kids, making music with Finnish kids all together. Um, that would be a beautiful thing. And the... the the, the language is there. Uh, uh, it's just that we need the tools to sort to, to link these people and to, to share their musical ideas with each other. And I think that's going to be it. Could be a very beautiful thing to see. Yeah, that actually sounds amazing. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but I run a company called Code Fund, which is focused on bringing money to open source projects through ethical advertising. I'd like to talk to you about that offline, but there Happy are to, a yes. bunch. There are a bunch of different ways that people can generate revenue for open source. And, and I, I find that such a fascinating topic because there's so many organizations that are really trying hard to make it so that we can all continue to have our open source sustainable. Yes, that's, that's the critical thing. And if you look at the, the GitHub thing, that the last year there have been very few commits on Sonic Pi from me, really, because I've spent all my time figuring out to make the, the, what I'm doing sustainable. Going right. And then that's it's been a beautiful for me to learn. It's been a fabulous learning opportunity, but it might not be using my skills to the best of, the, of their abilities. I mean, that's so probably stalled in many ways, uh, at least slowed down. Um, so if I can figure a way to be sustainable in a way that I'm comfortable, that I'm not worried about whether I can feed my kids, then I think I can then use my mind more effectively to, to continue to develop something that probably make it better than it currently is. Oh, absolutely. So where can people go to donate to your project via Patreon? Well, the first thing I would ask is to play with Sonic Pi. Um, so go to sonic-pi.net and have a play. Uh, if you don't like it, then definitely don't donate. <laughs> but, um, but if it makes you smile um, and you think that there's this value in this, either both for yourselves and for your friends and, and, and for children, then please, yeah, there's a Patreon site, patreon.com uh, slash Sam Aaron, S-A-M-A-A. 
R-O-N. And then you can then uh, join in support there. That'd be, that'd be amazing. And if you can give me the equivalent of a couple of coffees a year, that'd be great. I, I'd much rather have donations, small donations from a large number of people than a large donations from a small number of people. It's much more sustainable and feels much more safe to me to, to, to allow me to not to, to worry about feeding my kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand completely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's when you when you have uh, when, you, when you have funding and it can just be removed in one one sweep. It can be uh, it's a be a very difficult thing to, to deal with and to, to 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 plan for and to manage. And so having it so that uh, if, if I mean it's, it'll take a it'll take a long time hopefully to to, to get to that one hopefully, but it would, it's looking like it's taking a, a slow increase of the patron support, which hopefully should mean it will be a slow decrease uh, if if interest dwindles rather than an immediate off. And you've, it looks like you've got a pretty active uh, community on uh, Discourse. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's brilliant. And it's, um, it's fabulous to see that it's not just... Because uh, a lot of these um, music software, uh, especially programming music communities, are very much programmer-oriented and programmer-focused. And, and that can come with a certain kind of way of, of being and talking and acting. And, and it's not the kind of... Not always the environments I'm, I'm happy with. I mean, I... I I struggle with environments where you ask questions and, and, and people say, well, that's a bad question. Um, and you right. see that a lot in most programming circles. Um, and so the nice thing about the, the Sonic Pi forum is it, it's, it's not like that because we, we don't, haven't just got programmers with that mentality. We've got artists in there. We've got educators in there. Um, uh, we've got educators from, from young to old. Uh, we have musicians in there as well. So it's beautiful to see all these people using programming as a medium to communicate and share ideas with each other. And it's just really lovely to see. So, for example, we have an educator from the States who's been spent the last year teaching Philip Pye in his music lessons. And he's been able to collaborate and talk to other programmers for ideas about how to implement things or how to change things or how to explain things. And to, to just have that crossover is just a really, it's, it's a beautiful thing. One of the things I like in the forum is that people can post their their music and they're not posting like audio files, they're actually posting code. Absolutely. So this is a, such a huge win for writing music with code. I mean, there's lots of negatives, right? It's, it's weird and it's difficult perhaps and, and obtuse. But if you can if you can represent your music as some weird syntax um, that can be stored somewhere, like dots and lines, you know, uh, like Western notation, then you have a huge advantage. So when, when Western notation was invented, that, the, the original musical score that, that, that allowed people to, to take a melody and, and then put it on a piece of paper and then put it on a, on a horse and cart and travel across Europe and then have someone else read it and then turn it back into music. That, and you combine that with the invention of the printing press, we had this massive uh, distribution of music that was, was just amazing to see. Uh, well, I wasn't there, but I'm sure it was. <laughs> um, but um, and so we have the same now, but not just for what the clarinet should play, what the violin should play, or what the the you know the the trumpet should play. But we have it for what the synthesizer should do through time, and what studio effects to add, and what randomization to apply. I mean, we haven't talked about this, but in Sonic Pi, I have a principle that the same code should always produce the same sound, um, and that's uh, even if you're using randomization. Uh, even if you're using multiple threads, which are race conditioning in each other, uh, if those things are all resolved and it's all completely deterministic, uh, which means that I can take my piece of new code and send it to you and you can hear exactly the same things that I heard. Uh, and this then opens up so much opportunity because now we start to collaborate uh, over sophisticated music by reading each other's musical ideas. But it means also that when you go and see performances, uh, where people are writing this this kind of code live, it's like live coding performances. Uh, often you'll see people projecting the code that they're writing whilst they're performing, which is kind of like going on stage with a guitar and showing the audience your guitar. <laughs> it's like it's a revolutionary thing. And uh, when you go to see a guitar concert, you totally see the guitars on the stage. But when you go to most electronic artist performances, you rarely see what they're actually doing. Uh, I think that live coding opens up this in, 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 a, in a fabulous new way, which allows the audiences not just to see that the, the performers constructing the music live, but also if, if they have had prior uh, training or observation of, of the system that they're reading, they can sort of see what's going on. They can understand how the music was made, which means that if you go to a gig you really like, ideally you should be able to go home 
and recreating your home yourself and then modifying and mashing up and then turning something new, add your own spin this. And if the ingredients to the sound, if the ingredients to the music are open source, if they're something that's 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 text you can email and transfer as, as a as a gist, then that's totally an option. Which also then means that in a hundred years' time or a thousand years' time, the music that we're composing with code can still be interpreted and, and understood in the future. That's <laughs> really cool. It reminds me of a modern chord chart or something. <laughs> can you explain? So what's a future of Sonic Pi look like? What what kind of features or things do you have on the roadmap? So the, 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 the primary thing is figuring out whether I can sustain development going forward. So that's the, 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 the it's like a, a business problem rather than a, a technical problem. Um, and if I can sort that out, there's a, there's a bunch of interesting things I'd like to work on. At the moment, I'm working on accessibility. Uh, so I want to make sure that uh, more people can use Sonic Pi than currently can. So I'm working on uh, uh, making sure the screen reader software works well, um, adding a high contrast mode and adding uh, navigation um, um, uh, higher hierarchy that screen readers can work through and, and work with. And so uh, accessibility is a big thing. And then also just collaboration in general. So that, um, the ability for people to share and coordinate their compositions, their distributed concurrent uh, uh, com- uh, compositions. That sounds crazy. That's just like two programmers uh, that aren't co-located working together using Git. You know, so it's, for a programmer, all these things are rocket science. But uh, applying them to music, it's just opening some new opportunities. So, can we get uh, children from Africa composing music with children from America? Uh, can we also get children from Africa uh, performing music simultaneously with children in America. So using the internet and, and streaming the events, not the audio, but the events uh, 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 that, that create the audio and having their individual systems either end, turn those events into audio. It's totally feasible and exciting. And then also being able to co-locate performances. So in the same way you might have a rock band with, with three guitars. There's no reason why you can't have a rock band with three laptops uh, linked together with a network and then using those to, to jam together. So these things are... They're all possible at the moment, but they're not, they're not super simple and smooth. And there's no supported sort of uh, uh, tutorial or, or framework to, to, to do it. Um, and so a website to, to, to share these things. So these things need to work on. And I really, I've got lots of plans to make this, this a reality. That's really cool. Well, is there anything else that we should know about uh, Sonic Pi or any <laughs> other interesting things? I mean, yeah, so it's, I don't know, it depends. I need to ask each individual person listening to this what they're interested in and try and go back into time and, and answer it. Um, I mean, th- what's important to realise is that uh, this whole coding music thing is, is a whole brand new thing. And we're still very much in the early dark ages. And uh, if you look at a guitar, that guitar's had thousands of years of evolution, of design evolution to turn it from the object it once was, the object it is now. And we haven't yet had that for, for programming languages in general, but certainly not for, for a live coding system. So we, we're still very much at the early stages. But even what we have right now is really exciting in terms of its potential. Um, and so we really should start seeing these things as, as new instruments, uh, new musical instruments, and and exploring them in, in, in those rights. And I think that's it's really tough for me to come across people who say that, that code can't make music or code is rigid in structure or, and of course we realize that we can have randomization, we can have abstractions, we can get the computers to make mistakes. You know, it doesn't have, we can interpret things differently each time. Right? We don't have to be deterministic if we don't want to. Um, it's easy to turn deterministic into a non-deterministic one. Um, so there's lots of opportunities. So just to, to invite people to have a play, not to, not to have any preconceived ideas. And then also to realize that if you hear someone making music with Sonic Pi and you don't like the music, you can totally make other kinds of music. It's not, you don't always have to make the same kind of like uh, uh, dance music that I'm making, which is a bit this sort of uh, contrived in many ways, but it is easy to make because the loops are simple, simple to write. Um, but you can, there's a whole range of different sounds you can make, so really just to, to explore it. And if people do play with it, which I hope they do, to really start to, to share their work with others so that other people can learn and to realise that this idea that we're not musicians is just complete claptrap. You know, we're not all professional musicians, the fairest statements. Um, so just not worry about what things sound like, just to experiment, just to play. Um, and once you've done it, uh, just to, to share with others, because you don't know. The problem is that I, you find is that, that people might be too reluctant to share their musical compositions with others because they think it's not very good, because they're comparing it to the professional music that they, they buy and they, they, they adore. And 
actually people don't realize that, that, that the work that they think maybe not very exciting could be really inspirational to other people. So trying to get people to share their work with us, even though they think it's not very good because they've got no idea who it might inspire and touch. Uh, and even if it's not musical, just like the code structures might inspire people to write something exciting with the same code structures. I think that's that's something I'd like to get more people to do. So share your work with others and, and celebrate the beauty that code is not just for business, it's, a, it's something we use to express our ideas as humans. So I think to wrap to wrap this up, I do want to share one more uh, pretty amazing song that I found out there. And it was just a quick little Google. But So this is written, and uh, there's a whole bunch of comments in it, but this whole song is 206 lines of code. It's uh, the Mario theme song. Ah, yes, that was a so, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually dead on. I could I could hear the whole thing. So, yeah, I'll we'll link it in the show notes. But when you listen to this podcast, make sure you download Sonic Pi. You grab that uh, song from uh, this gist that I shared on here, and uh, it's pretty fantastic. I was surprised. That's Xavier Riley wrote that. It's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. I'll see if I can get that to play. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well. It's been great having you on. I'm fascinated by this. I do remember watching a um, watching somebody present, I believe, on Sonic Pi. Probably, man, it must have been six years ago, five years ago, at a at a Ruby group, and uh, it was pretty 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 neat to see this come around full circle and that it's still up and going. the The part that I find interesting is that. What you have here is an intro and outro music generator for podcasts. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? If you, want to, if you want to do that, so sat, uh, you can make ringtones with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Although someone did send me, uh, uh, now a close friend, uh, two albums, records, uh, produced with Sonic Pi. So it's not, you can't just, it's not just about intros and outros. People are actually making proper, someone made an opera in Sonic Pi. Um, so how can we how can we find these? Are they linked on Sonic Pi website, or how can we find out? Yes, I only know about them through Twitter, and I retweet these things. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, I'm trying to trying to bring them into the community forums. But yeah, any ideas about how to make these things a bit more easy to to, to find? The, the really big, exciting things go on the main webpage. So, so for example, like next year, ridiculous thing is I'm playing at the Royal Albert Hall with Sonic Pi in uh, the UK. And uh, three years ago, I got into the Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, playing code in a, in a music festival. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> those hey, kind of things are on the website. But yes, um, I think more community things. We need to, this is what we need. We need to build a really nice place to share these these ideas and these works. So to be able to go to a website and download an opera and download a, a rock song and download a dance track would be, be wicked. And then see how they're made and then be able to make your own. Yeah, I got it queued up, Eric. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, That's I'm going to stop pretty playing pretty that before the wife thinks I'm just playing video games. <laughs> okay. Well, Sam, if people want to find out where you're at and what you're working on, where can they go? Or if they um, want to learn more about Sonic Pi? I mean, just go to the website. It's the best place. And the forum, in-thread.sonic-pi.net, um, is, is a place to go and chat about things. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Sam Aaron, um, and Instagram as well. I'm sort of posting pictures of what I'm doing there. Um, but yeah, if you really, if you've got questions and, and you want to discuss things, the forum is absolutely the best place to go. If you want to get started, the tutorial is the best place. That's both inside the application itself as a full book inside the app. It's translated to many languages, um, but also that uh, the English version of the, of the tutorial is also on the website, which is, makes it much more convenient to, 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 to work with. And if you've got screen readers, these, these can read the tutorial as well. Um, and so, yeah, so the website and the forum is probably the best place, and then Twitter and Instagram, uh, if you want to follow what I'm doing. And if you want to hire me to come and uh, give you a performance or a workshop, or, then please let me know. It's, it's a lot of fun, especially if you get your, uh, your bosses making crazy dance music. <laughs> it's huge fun. Well, awesome. Well, should we move on to picks? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. 
You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. All right. So my pick is going to be kind of a two-part pick. One is SimpleCov, and it's a way where you can run on your application on a Rails or Ruby application to see if you have test coverage. So it'll show you where you're missing gaps on these specific controllers or models where you're missing coverage. And then as you're developing on, let's say if you have pretty high code coverage, 80% or higher, but then you realize that you implemented a couple of new features or a couple of new bug fixes, and you don't know if you had enough code coverage on those yet. So there's another gem called Undercover, which will show you the gap in code coverage between your last commit. So before you commit up your changes to GitHub or whatever code repository you're using, you can see if you have code coverage on the new things that you've just committed. So it's a way that you can kind of keep yourself in check on ensuring that you're not dropping your code coverage, but you're maintaining or increasing it. All right, so I do have mine now. So what I've been wanting to get really, really bad is the Arty phone, A-R-T-I-P-H-O-N. And I think they were they started off as a Kickstarter, but what it is, it's a MIDI device that looks like a guitar slash piano. It's like a mix between it and it. And the type of music that you can generate through this thing is pretty amazing. So it's, uh, you can find it at, uh, Art, I think, just artyphone.com. But, and I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it. But uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. All right. And Sam, do you have any picks? Uh, good question. Yeah, I mean, picks. Uh, best pick is a really fabulous um, program for making programs. Uh, it's called Emacs. Um, and uh, it's, it's just a fabulous environment. You get to write text in a beautiful way and you can extend it using this beautiful language called Lisp. Um, so I definitely recommend, if you haven't heard of it, this Emacs programming editor uh, and to, to, just to whittle your life away with it and it will become your new hands. Yeah, I think uh, Chuck is a big Emacs person, so <laughs> good thing he's not on this uh, podcast. <laughs> so I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's hard to come with good picks. <laughs> All right, Sam. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, a lot of interesting over the over my head topics, but it was really interesting and cool. Cool. And I'm sorry if it went over your head. If, it, if it, you're obviously able to, on the internet, ask me any questions and I'll try my best to make sure it's not. Because the whole goal of what I'm trying to do is to make sure it's not something which goes over people's heads, but something that if they spend the time to, to learn, they really, it is something they can learn. Yeah. You're also talking to a guy here who got just the sympathy clap from doing karaoke. So I'm going to reiterate my uh, not very musically talented. <laughs> yet. 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 Things can change. Yeah. That's well, cool. Right. Well, thanks again for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a real pleasure and delight. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.